What's up, guys? How's it going? Tired. Hey. What's up, guys? How's it going? Uh, Now that I know you're super excited to be here, we can get started. So I was thinking that someone should name the sports team the Dwarf Hippos. Which sport, I mean, what sport would that be, you think? Who said water polo? Who? You play water polo? Who plays water polo in here? Yeah, I played water polo. Six years. Football. What's football? You can't even watch any sports right now. You can't go to a baseball game, though, can you? You got to watch it on TV. All right, well, I'm glad to be with you guys. Uh, My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're excited to dive into the word. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, grab them and open to Judges chapter 5. Judges is like the seventh book in your Old Testament. Uh, it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And the first time my son was, no, it was my daughter, was learning how to say the names of the books of the Bible. She said, uh, Dad, why did Joshua judge Ruth? Thank you. I appreciate the laugh. That helps a lot. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for the opportunity to be here. We're, uh, we're just amazed that you, that you have known us from before the foundation of the world, that you have called us by name, that you have saved us from our sin, that you've given us the hope of heaven. And Lord, I pray that today those realities would set in for every single person in this room today, Lord, that we would not take for granted the privilege we have to worship you, to know you, to be called by you. And so, God, we pray that you would do a special work in our midst, that you would help our hearts be attentive and our minds be open to what your Holy Spirit has to say to us through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Judges, what we're going to look at today in chapter 5, is a book about cycles, okay? It, it talks about the children of Israel during the time before they had a king, and this period of their history was a time where they went in these cycles of being obedient to God, and then getting comfortable, and then being rebellious against God, and then God, because of their rebellion, would send their enemies to take, you know, to defeat them, and then they, because they were defeated, they would cry out to God again, and the whole cycle would start over. And Judges chapter 5 comes into a cycle where we see this amazing woman of God, her name is Deborah. And she was called by God to help defeat the enemies that had come and taken over Israel because the people of God had rebelled and they were crying out to God for his help. And so God raised her up and he used her powerfully to motivate this, uh, this general that Israel had that was kind of scared and timid and afraid to lead and afraid to go to battle. And his name was Barak. Uh, not Barack Obama. That's a different guy altogether. This guy was Barak. You say that in, in, the, in the Hebrew. Can you guys say that? Barak? Then you got to get that. Like you're spitting something really nasty. Like uh, COVID spit. Okay, ready? Barak. That's pretty good over there. 
And this guy was like a, kind of afraid to go to battle. So Deborah came along and, and he said, you know, I'm not going to battle unless you go. So she says, fine, we'll go. And then we, we read about this incredible victory that God gives his people. It's miraculous. We're going to read a little bit about it. And then we read about this other awesome lady. Judges chapter 5 is like about awesome women of the Bible. All the ladies said, what's up? Come on, guys. Are you even here today? Hey, ladies, you proud to be ladies or what? Man, you guys are hard. Well, ladies, I think you should be proud to be ladies because there's some awesome women in the Bible that God uses. Um, and Yael, that's her name in the, in the Hebrew. Yael, not Yael, just Yael. And she was awesome because uh, the general of the Canaanite army, the, the enemy of Israel, he was like running for his life when he realized he was being defeated. And Yael was in this tent out there in the pasture. And she says, hey, come hide over here. And he, he comes and he hides. He said, will you protect me? Will you protect me? And she says, yeah, sure, come in. And, and he didn't realize that she was like on Israel's side. So he says, she says, oh, come lay over here. And here's a blanket. And she gives him, uh, he asks for some water, but she gives him a cup of warm milk. And I don't know if you guys ever had warm milk. Uh, we don't really drink warm milk, but it's, it helps you sleep, right? So she like puts him to sleep and she's kind of singing him a lullaby and he feels nice and safe. And he falls asleep in her tent and she goes and she grabs one of the tent pegs, like, you know, like this. We're talking about tent peg. And she goes and she gets the hammer and she comes over to him and he, she puts the temp right on his temple and she pounds it straight through his head into the ground. I'm not making it up. It's for real. Yes, of course he died. Now, here we go. Judges chapter five, we have to keep in mind, Deborah and Barak just experienced this incredible victory. So what's the first thing that they do as they're leading the children of Israel, the army of Israel in victory? They won this great battle. The first thing they do is Judges chapter 5. And they did the same thing that Moses did when the children of Israel got through the Red Sea to the other side. They did the same thing that Hannah did when God answered her prayer for a child. The same thing that King David did like every day all the time. The same thing that Nehemiah and the children of Israel did when they completed the wall of Jerusalem. The same thing that Mary did when she found out that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. The same thing that Jesus did before he went to the cross after the Last Supper with his disciples. The same thing that Paul and Silas did when they were locked up in prison at midnight. Can anyone guess what all these people did? They did not pray. No. That's right. They sang, they sang a song. They sang a song. Judges chapter 5 is one long song, and I'm not going to sing it for you. Actually, I'm going to sing part of it for you in a little bit. But Judges chapter 5 is one long song. But, but the, here's the thing about, about worship, and I'm just going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail. We'll come back. But worship is not just singing. It's the way we live our lives. It's what we were designed to be. Do you know that every single human being worships something? It is either God, the true and living God, or something else that is created. Or a lot of people even worship themselves. And what do you know? How do you know? Well, what do I worship? How do I know what I worship? What demands the most of your time? 
What do you love to do the most out of anything else that you would sacrifice for, give yourself to, whatever it might be? Those are the things typically that are demanding our worship. And worship is simply giving our lives in offering to something or to someone. And when it comes to singing, singing is a way, it's an avenue of how we express part of our worship to God. And could I say that it is a very, very important one. In fact, I think music was designed by God to be almost a language. It's almost like a language all by itself. Okay, be honest with me. No jokers, all right? Tell me, if, raise your hand honestly, if you hate every single form of music, you hate music, all of it, you can't listen to any music anywhere, anytime, you just hate it altogether, raise your hand. Okay, I want you to look around at all the raised hands in, in the room. No one hates music. Now, you might like, okay, this guy hates music. Yeah, okay, so, but you, you don't mind listening to music, right? You kind of like it sometimes? So music, and I know you guys sing in the shower. Come on. That's where you sound the best, right? We all sing in the shower because it echoes in there. We can't, no one else can hear us. We sound like so awesome to ourselves. You're dancing in the shower too? That's not a good idea. Really not a good idea. But listen, music is an expression of language, right? Check it out. As you grow older, you're going to recognize this. There are going to be moments in your life that you remember forever because of the song. Guarantee you. You'll be at a concert, maybe if they ever open a concert back up. You'll be, you'll be like driving down and you'll be listening to the radio. I remember my friend and I, we went up to the hills to pray one night. Uh, he was driving, and we, we used to go up to this one hill, and we used to just, just get into prayer up there. And as we're driving home, uh, there was this worship song. One of my favorite worship songs was playing on the radio. And he turns the corner and steps on the gas because he's going to be cool, you know. It's like midnight down this hill. The steering locks up. The brakes lock up. 70 miles an hour. We go up the hill, over, crash, roll down the hill three times. Windows all break. The whole thing is smashed. It was crazy. Should have been dead. And we landed upside down, and I'm hanging upside down. You know, my seatbelt's like there, and I'm like, glass everywhere. There's this red stuff on the ground. So I'm like checking my hair. It was, uh, it was transmission fluid, <laughs> not my blood. But here's what I remember. As I'm laying upside down, everything was in slow motion, and I'm alive, and my friend was alive, Thankfully, he wasn't wearing his seatbelt because he got ejected from the front seat into the back seat, and the front seat got totally smashed. But here, what, Josh, what are you talking about? Listen, I remember hanging upside down, and I remember the song. It was a worship song. I can't wait to see your face, to look upon you with tears in my eyes. And I'm thinking, man, this just almost came true. But what's the point? Listen. Singing, worship, music, it's a language designed by God, but what was it designed for? It was originally designed for people to engage with God in a relational way. Music and lyrics have a way of opening the deep part of our emotions and of our souls. And Satan has robbed music from being able to glorify God, and he has used it to 
it being a tool now for Satan to use to do all kinds of things and to say all kinds of messages and to put all kinds of thoughts into our minds through music. But God wants to redeem music for us to use it for his glory. It's a good thing. In fact, did you know that the heavens and the earth were created while the heavenly radio was blasting? What are you, what are you Josh, are you talking about? When God created the heavens and the earth, he did it to a music. You know that? Where, where does the Bible say that? Check it out. Job chapter 38, you might want to write it down, I'll read it, Listen. God's talking to Job about the creation of the earth. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone? Listen, when the morning stars, that's the angels, okay? First rock stars ever. The morning stars, the angels, what? Sang together. And all the sons of God, the angels shouted for joy. Did you catch that? God says, when I was creating everything, all the angels were singing. But interestingly enough, check this out. That is the last time the angels ever sing in the Bible. Why? Because one of the angels who was in charge of all the music in heaven... Does anyone know what that angel's name is? Lucifer, Lucifer that's right. Listen to what the Bible says. In, in uh, Ezekiel 28, 13, we're told that he was created with timbrels and pipes. Uh, who knows what a timbrel and pipe is? It's a musical instrument. It's a musical instrument, timbrels and pipes. So many people believe that Lucifer, the angel, was sort of over the flow of music in heaven. And interestingly enough, that when Satan fell from heaven, when he was kicked out, when he rebelled against God, we never see music in heaven again in the entire Bible. I find that very interesting. You're like, wait, 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 Josh. Remember when Jesus was born and all the angels showed up to the shepherds and they were singing, glory to God in the highest, right? Christmas plays and everything. No, the Bible doesn't say that. If you read it carefully, the Bible says the angels appeared in the sky saying, shouting, declaring, Glory to God in the highest. They weren't singing. Music never shows up in heaven until the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. We see singing in heaven. And do you guys know the first time we see singing in heaven since the world was created? Who do you think is singing in heaven when we see it? For the first time since it was sort of banished from heaven, who do you think is singing in heaven in Revelation chapter 5? Any guesses? What do you think? Us. Yes, nailed it. I want to read this to you guys. Check it out. Revelation chapter 5. Now when he, that's Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and gold, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That is the song of Christians singing their melody, filling the throne room of God in heaven. And this is really humbling to me because it tells me that angels who won't even dare to 
offer a melody to God because of their fear of him. Sit and listen that every time we get to church, every time we gather together, every time we're with some friends, every time we're in the car, we're listening to our favorite worship song on the radio and we start to sing, every time you're in your shower and you start to belt it out, you know what happens? The Bible says that those praises that have been sort of banned from the angels because of Satan's defilement of music are being reintroduced and rewelcomed into the presence of God. It blesses him. All that music, all those melodies coming from his people up to heaven is like, it shows and it proves that God has redeemed mankind for himself and that we are grateful. And because we are grateful, we are going to take this music, these melodies, these songs, and we're going to express them back to God as he is making all things new. The Bible is very clear. Hebrews 13 tells us, therefore, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We're to sing and to praise God in that way. But not only that, Ephesians and Colossians tells us this command that we are to exhort one another with psalms and with hymns and with spiritual songs, singing and making melody with grace in our hearts to the Lord. It's awesome. This is not just something that we do because we're like trying to pass up first 15 minutes of church, we got to sit here and listen to these people play music that we maybe do like or maybe don't like or whatever, big deal, who cares? This is an opportunity that God's people have to redeem something that Satan has stolen, to redeem something that he's, that he's taken away, to bring God honor and glory in a very unique way that even the angels can't do. That's incredible. That's an amazing privilege we have. And the Bible says, you're like, Josh, you're going to ever tell us about judges? Yeah, in a minute. The Bible says that we are to worship and to sing and to praise, but that when we do it, we are to do it with our entire selves. I want you to check these verses out. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 63, verse 4. I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. You ever thought, why, man, during worship, why is that guy over there lifting up his hands? Because the Bible says that when we worship God, we are to bow down in humility before him. We are to clap our hands in joy and jubilation and, and excitement because of what he's done. We are to shout out and lift our voices because we're grateful. We are to lift our hands because we are surrendered to him. And we acknowledge, Lord, I am not the king of my life. You are. I am not worthy. You are. And all those physical expressions that we make during worship are all a declaration that, God, I'm not just like half in with you. I'm all the way in with you. So if this is the biblical case, and I, want you to, I don't want you to answer out loud, I want you to think, why is it that most of the time when we come to church and we sit through the worship time, it's kind of like this guy up here. How great is our God. And then, and then everyone's like this.
Our grace, God, Jesus. So hungry. Didn't get to finish our video game this morning. We're doing after church. Go swimming. It's hot. Jesus. Hey, let me ask you guys something. I'm being I'm being dead serious. Do you think that's what God intended for his people when they come to worship him? Thank you. Absolutely not. You know what? We have, in a sense, our worship has lost sight of the glory and the magnificence of Jesus. You guys, you will come to understand this more and more as you walk with God, but I want to tell you something. There is no one like Jesus There is nothing like his presence. No one compares to his sacrifice. No one has done for you what he has done for you. No one else gave their life on a cross. No one else exited heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life so that your sin and your rebellion and your wickedness could be forgiven. No one else made it a possible way for you to spend eternity in heaven. This this life is like this. Eternity is like this, you guys. And you get to spend it in perfection, free of pain, free of sorrow, every good thing at your fingertips, all because of Jesus. And the more you taste, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But we have to partake. We have to taste. We have to see. We have to enter in to our time of worship. So we are to sing. Whether we feel like it or not, whether, whether we get like, feel like, oh, this is awesome, or this is boring. It doesn't matter. Regardless of how you feel or I feel, God is still God. He is still worthy of worship. He is more worthy than any other thing, any other person of all our worship and praise. And something really powerful happens when people decide, you know what? I'm going to get over myself. I'm going to get over my fear. I'm going to get over my inhibition. I'm going to get over you know, the fact that I don't maybe get this or understand this, and I'm just going to let myself go to worship God. King David did that, you know. Remember that time he, like, danced through Israel in his underwear? Remember that time? Like, no way. Yes. Now, that is not allowed. No dancing. We're not, no, we're not doing that. But here's the point. King David was, was he worshiped in such a way that he got accused of being foolish, He worshiped God in such a way, and when he got accused of it, he said, I will become even more undignified than this because I am just a fool compared to God. I am willing to make myself look like a fool if it means that I can bring glory and honor and worship to God. And that should be our attitude is that, you know, I'll lift my hands. I don't care what the next person thinks. I don't care what the person sitting next to me thinks. I'll get on the aisle and bow if I really believe that that Jesus is worth it. I will sing even though I don't feel like I have a good voice. I will open my Bible and dig into the scriptures. I will express my worship and my praise to God because he deserves it. I don't care what other people think. I only care what God thinks. And so I want you to have this in your mind as we quickly go through Judges chapter five and go through this song because I think this song is a song that gives us all the different reasons why we ought to worship God. Verse 3, 
Judges chapter 5. You guys there? Check it out. Verse 3. Here's how the psalm begins. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Notice their worship song has two audiences. They say, I want the kings and the princes to hear, and I want the Lord to hear. They wanted their praise to be heard, not just by God, but by those around them. And you guys, you never know, like, who is watching your worship and who is affected by it. I remember the first time, and I think I was probably your age, and I was sitting in church, and they were having a worship service, and I saw this guy in front of me, and he had his eyes closed, and he had his hands raised, and I was sitting there. I didn't get it at all. I was like, I don't even know what's going on, but whatever that guy's doing, I feel like he's doing something that I'm missing out on, <laughs> because whatever, wherever, wherever he's at, he, that's where I want to be. You know, it's amazing how Worship can motivate worship and praise can motivate praise and that we can set the example that we are, yes, worshiping to the audience of one, that's Jesus, but we are also worshiping so that we encourage one another. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16 is where Paul and Silas are in prison for casting a demon out of a girl. Strange reason to get in prison, but they're in prison. And the Bible says that at midnight they were chained together and that they begin to worship. I'll read it to you. Acts 16 verse 25 says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were all listening to them. You never know who's listening. You might even be, oh, I'm just in church. You never know who's sitting next to you. You never know who's seeing your praise and saying, you know what? They're going through a hard time, yet they're singing. They're going through a trial, but they're still singing. Oh, their life isn't easy, but they're still worshiping. It, it, it motivates us to look to Jesus in a deeper way. And I realize that some of you guys don't like to sing publicly. Like Paul and like Silas singing in prison, you have prison singing, always behind a few bars, and you can never find the right key. Okay. Thank you. But even if you can't sing on the right key and you can't find your place, we are all called, the Bible says, to make a joyful noise. Even if we can't sing very well, we can all make a joyful noise. And the power of God will be at work. The second reason they sang, in fact, I might need this here pretty soon. Second reason they sang, so the first one, if you're taking notes, they sang because they wanted to be heard. They wanted the world to hear them. They wanted the kings to hear them. They wanted God to hear them. And we too, we sing because we want to be heard. Secondly, they sang because they saw God's mighty work. They saw God's mighty work. Look at verse 4. Here's the song. continues. When you went out from Seir, when you marched in the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured and the clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. 
Judges chapter 4 told us that the Canaanite army had 900 iron chariots and that God sent a supernatural flood in the valley. And when the flood came, the, the earth turned to mud and all the chariots got stuck, which allowed the children of Israel to have the victory. And so now they're singing about this, this awesome thing they, got, they saw God do. God made this flood, this, this torrent come down and, and made these chariots get stuck. And it was incredible. And they give God the glory for it. But you know what? Today, I think we like to rationalize everything. I think some people probably would have seen it today and they're like, that wasn't God. That was just a rain. It's just a flood. It just happened to rain on this day and it just so happened to be right in this field. And it just so happened the whole earth turned to mud. And it just so happened that they had these iron chariots. At what point do you just say, you know what? God is awesome. When he does something great, and I think one of our problems today is we often steal God's glory from him because we try to rationalize everything. You know, like someone's like, hey, you know, God healed me. We're like, no, you just went to the doctor. You just took medicine. Well, who made the doctor? And who gave him wisdom? And who created science? God did it all. And everything, everything that's good and perfect, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights, comes from God. And because God is awesome, and because God does awesome things, he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. And you know what probably the most awesome thing he's ever done? Is when he saw you, and the Bible says you were naturally an enemy of God. You were without hope in this world. You were in your sin. And by his grace, he saved you. That's an incredible, motivating reason to worship God. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. All will sing how Number three, you ready? We'll get you guys singing by the time the worship's, by this over. Okay, number three. The third reason they sang is because they desire to see revival. You guys heard this, like, pray, oh, Lord, bring revival. God, bring revival. And I think he's doing that right now. Through all of this season of COVID and everything, you guys realize, right? Like, what you're doing right now, what you're doing right now is currently illegal in California. What you're doing right now, I would say, without exaggeration, 97% of churches in the United States are not doing what you're doing right now. That's how, that's how much, don't we take it for granted sometimes? What a privilege it is that we have to come worship God together. Why? Because God's bringing revival. Look at verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, there's a name, son of Anath, in the, in the days of Yael, there's that lady. We'll read about her more in a minute. 
The highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was a war in the gates, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Speak you who ride on white donkeys. That was like a Lamborghini back then. If you had a white donkey, you were like seriously high status. So speak you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers, among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake and sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. You're like, Josh, that was long. What is that? Here's what, basically, here's what she's saying. She said, there was a time in Israel where all the, all the life, all the joy of living ceased. No one was in the marketplace. No one was going to having fun. No one was having get-togethers or parties. It was just like life was dead. Sound familiar? And people were sad and depressed and discouraged And then they said, God did this amazing thing. And now all the people are like walking down the streets and riding their white donkeys and doing all this stuff. And they're talking about, did you see what God did? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, praise God. Let's sing a song. God's do it. That's called revival. But here's the thing about revival. You can't have revival unless you have your own experience with God. You can't live on the faith of your parents you can't worship because God did something cool in, in your dad's life. Yeah, you can be thankful for that or your mom's life. But God has to do something in your life. God has to show himself to you. And you oh, how do I do that? You open yourself up to Christ. You yield yourself to the Lord and you will start seeing him do one thing after another thing after another thing. And you're going to be like, Lord, all I can do is worship you. You're awesome. So we must awake. And then they were worshiping number four, if you're taking notes, because the people of God united. We're told in verses 13 through 18, I'm not going to read them all for the sake of time, but like all the different tribes, like they came to fight the battle together. Like this tribe came and this tribe came and they, they were coming from the north and from the south all to fight the battle together. But then there were like three tribes that heard about the battle, they were like, nah, you guys, we're good. You guys, you guys fight. We're just going to stay over here, protect our own stuff. We're just going to stay over here and do our own thing. You guys fight. And they get called out in here. How would you like your, your name to be in the Bible forever? Because you chickened out. Like, yeah, you know, Jill and Mary, they were over there praying and worshiping, but yeah, Derek, man, he, he just was over there doing whatever. If your name is that, it's not personal, okay? Here's the thing. We have to be, we have to choose to worship. We have to choose to be in the fight. We have to choose to engage with the Lord. We can't just stay off on the sidelines because we want to do our own thing. We want to protect our own interests. We want to, you know, maintain our own comfort. No, we have to be on the front lines of battle. And so 
We, we sing because when we all come together, something incredible happens in the spiritual realm. Number five, they sang because the Lord delivered them from the enemy. Verse 19 says, the kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, and they took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. Sisera was the uh, Canaanite general. And the torrent of the Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of the Kishon, that's a river. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hoofs pounded and galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord and to the help of the Lord against the mighty. And so here they say, again, basically, we sing, we're singing this song because God came down and delivered us from the enemy. I think of Colossians chapter one. Listen to this verse, you guys. Paul says that Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. God has delivered us from sin and from Satan. And when you sing, there's something about your song that that, that sends a sword into the spiritual realm that declares to Satan, Satan, you have no more authority. Satan, you have no more victory. Satan, you will, not, you will not win the battle against me. I will sing this weapon of worship out into that spiritual place and declare that God has delivered me. And God has certainly delivered us. Okay, you guys, verse 24 this is where the song gets kind of crazy. It says, most blessed among women is Yael. You guys remember Yael? The wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. Okay, I think this was like the first like heavy, kind of like hard rock song in the Bible. This is kind of where the lyrics kind of change and they get kind of gruesome and weird and dark. Verse 25 through 27, I'll, I'll try to sing it for you, okay? You can follow along in your Bible if you want. I think it, it kind of like... Something like that, probably. That's what I think. It, that's what I think it like sounded like, right? When they were going for it. What do you guys think? Should we like sing that song in worship sometime? Shape out and so raw. I like that. I'm not done yet. You guys can tell Gia. Hey, Gia, learn that song. <laughs> 
But you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me that the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead from Genesis chapter 3, that he crushed Satan's head with his heel. I love that. Like, that's my, that's my Jesus. Jesus who looks at Satan who wants to take captive every single person and send them to hell. And he says, not on my watch. Not as, not as long as I am God and I am king, I will crush your head, Satan. And it just reminds me that Jesus always gives us the victory. And that's a good reason to worship God for every victory he gives us, for every battle he fights for us, and that he wins for us. And then finally, it closes that we worship because God is greater than the world. God is greater than the world. Verse 28, I love this. It's, it's so funny to me. The mother of Sisera. Okay, Sisera is the, gen- the general who just got his head pounded into the, uh, uh, the, the ground, right? I think he really got the point, though. And uh, I think God just really nailed him right there. So the mother of Sisera, right? Now, now it's like, mommy, look through the window and cried out through the lattice, why is this chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her, yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? Every man, a girl or two, for Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck and of the looter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And that's the end of the song. But notice, Sisera's mommy is looking out her window. She's like getting nervous because Sisera's not coming home. And she's like, oh, where is he? He's late. He's late. What happened to him? But then she, was, she and, and all her friends were like, oh, wait a minute. They're just fighting against Israel. It's just Israel. There's, oh, they're probably just hanging out. They're probably just looting the, everybody, and they're probably just getting all their plunder, and they're probably just getting necklaces and clothes. Yeah, that's what they're doing. No, your son's laying dead with a spike through his head. I'm sorry. That's, that's what happened. But you know the reality is the enemies of God think that the people of God are weak. Ah, oh, it's, just, it's just a church. It's just that, that kid, you know, just get that, just that Jesus follower over there. So now, ah, forget about them. But the Bible says God uses the weak things of the world. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God uses us in our weakness to become strong. There is nothing special about you or about me. There's nothing that we bring to the table that we're somehow wise or strong or have some sort of great talent to offer God. It's that when we yield ourselves to God, he uses us to do things that no one else would think we could do. And I want to challenge you. I, maybe, maybe there's even just one or two of you who would hear this and really grab onto it. Is that, is that would you be a, 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 the one? Would you be a young man or a young woman who would say, God, I realize I don't have anything to offer you, but everything I have to offer you, I'll give it all to you 
if you would use me. Because if that is the case, then you will be miraculously used by God in your school, around your friends, in your family, in the church, in the world. A yielded person, God is looking for someone who is available. And I would just say, would you be that person? Would you be that one? To say, you know what, they, regardless of what anyone says or thinks, I will follow Jesus. And so this whole song, we see all these things that are taking place in, and she says, I'm going to write a song about it because I'm so excited about how God delivered us, and I'm so excited that he made the, the foolishness of the world, and, and, and I'm so excited about, you know, Yael getting, getting Sisera. I'm so excited about what God did that I'm going to sing a song about it. But you know what this convicts me of is that maybe when I don't feel like singing, it's less because I, it's less about the song or the worship leader or any of that. And it's more about the fact that maybe my life, maybe there's nothing really happening in my life that connects with the song. I, I don't, I don't want to be in that place where I can't worship and sing to God because none of it makes sense to the reality of my life. I don't want to be in the place where I can't really honestly and passionately sing about the Spirit of God moving in in power because there's no power in my life. I don't want to be in a place where I can't sing about the cross of Jesus because I can't remember the last time I prayed. I can't remember the last time I even thought about the cross. I can't even remember the last time I thought about Jesus. Why would I want to sing about it? I don't ever want to be in that place. And God doesn't want us in that place. God wants us daily to be renewed and refreshed by his Holy Spirit to bring and to do things in our life that cause us to want to sing songs of worship to him. And that's nothing of your own effort. That's nothing of your own strength. That is just you saying, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. I just just work in my life and I will give you all the praise for everything you do, for everything you've done. I will worship you. The word worship in the English is the English word. It's two English words, right? We have like friendship, relationship, worship. What's were? In the English, it's worth, worth-ship. You worship that which is worth something to you. What is it that is worth the most in your life, in my life? That is what we will worship. And may, it, may our honest answer be that even though Jesus might not always be in that top place, that we're always trying to make him. We're always seeking to put him in that top place in our lives. And so you guys, if you could close your eyes for a moment, I'm, the, we, we saved the, the majority of the worship for the end because I wanted us to have a chance to respond to God. And listen, it's not my desire to make anyone feel uncomfortable or to make anyone feel pressured. Listen, worship is between you and God. If you want to worship him, then do it. If you don't, that's between you and God. It's none of my business. I'm not here to judge you. 
But here's my challenge. I wonder if there are some of you in this room that you've never even experienced what it's like to be really engaged in worship. You've never experienced the the moment you close your eyes and you say, I'm going to just stop thinking about all the stuff going on. I'm going to stop thinking about where I need to be and what's going on. And I'm just going to start thinking about Jesus and letting the words flow from your lips of the song. You've never stood up. You've never just lifted your hands because you just want God to know that he has all of you. You've never really sung out with all your heart and your voice because you've been intimidated and afraid I want to challenge you that if you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit and you start thinking about what he's done and you start having that sense in your heart like, you know what, Jesus is worth this. That you would engage him in worship from the heart, from the mouth, from the hands. And that we would just expect God to actually come in this room. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people, that he is actually would come here and do something in your heart that you would never even expect or anticipate. So Lord, we just come to you and we just pray, Lord, that you would do a special work in our hearts right now. God, we pray that your spirit would come as we close our time in worship, that we would never take for granted the opportunity we have to sing a song to you, how special it is, how moving and how monumentous it can be in our lives even. And so, Lord, we just declare you as our king. We say, Lord, you are worthy. God, you are, you are everything. You have saved us. You have redeemed us. Jesus, you have given your life on our behalf. You have loved us to the very end when we were unlovable. Lord, you have been our God. You are our friend. You are our father. You are real. You are true. And Lord, this is not just a church. This is not just another time we get together in a building. No, this is a, a, a living, breathing organism in which your Holy Spirit inhabits, and we want to experience the fullness of who you are, God. We want to worship you with our songs. We want those songs to birth into worship that comes out of our lives, out of the things we say, think about, and do, that in every way, Lord, we would give you praise. And you guys... Here's the the number one thing that you have to have before you can even experience true worship, and that is you have to have Jesus. There might be some of you who are here today that you don't know Jesus as your own Savior. You've come to church because your parents make you. Maybe you even like it to see your friends. You've seen that your parents are Christians. You've seen that maybe your friends have this relationship with God, but you don't know what it's like. You've never prayed to receive Jesus into your life. You've never asked him to be your savior. You've never worshiped him as your own king, as your own God. The Bible says you must do that. That in order to be saved, you have to proclaim faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your own savior, as your own God. That he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the dead. So before we even worship, 
I'm going to ask everyone to keep their head bowed and their eyes closed. And if you are not certain about where you personally stand with God, you maybe not thought about it. You maybe avoided it. You're like, ah, I, don't want, I don't know if I want to do the whole church thing. Don't do the whole church thing. Do the whole Jesus thing. If you know you need Jesus in your life, if you know you need to be forgiven of your sins so that you can go to heaven, if you know that you don't have this personal connection with God that you want, I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus into your life. And so with everyone, just no one's looking around. If you know that's you and, the, and you just feel this tug on your heart, yeah, I need to get right with God. I need a real personal relationship with Jesus that I don't have. I want you to raise your hand right now and I want to pray with you to ask Jesus into your life, into your heart, and to be your God and Savior. All right, thanks. Awesome. I see your hand right there, right there. Anyone else? That's awesome, guys. Good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. A lot of you guys raising your hands. I see you back there. That's awesome. Right here. Good for you. You guys, this is where it gets real. This is where it's not Sunday school anymore. Christianity is not church games. It's a relationship with a God who is real and who is powerful and who is mighty and who is loving. And God, we just ask you to pour your spirit out. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to be really bold. If you raise your hand, you stand up where you're at right now, right before God and before all these people. Just stand up where you're at right now. That's right. You guys, good for you. Can you guys give these people a hand right here? That's awesome. I want you to stay standing. Yeah, good for you. That's awesome. Don't be embarrassed. This is not anything to be embarrassed about. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Okay, guys, if there's someone around you, I want you to just, as a brother and sister in Christ, just go lay your hands on them right now. We're going to pray for them as they receive Jesus into their lives. God, we thank you for these young men, these young women that you are calling out of this world. You are calling to serve you. You are calling to be their king. Lord, they have heard your voice. They're responding today. I'm so proud of them. Lord, touch their lives in a way that they've never known before. Send your Holy Spirit to fill them right now that they would know that God is with them and upon them and in them. And right now, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And everyone, we can just all repeat it together, just to pray it together, okay? Just repeat this prayer that you're praying it to God. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Help me to worship you now. And thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.